Hello and welcome to Mistakes Were Made with me, Alex Steger. And me, Frank Talbot. This week, I would say it is a big shift. We've taken a hard right turn from um, Anthony Scaramucci last week uh, with, 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 with our guest today, who is a water fund manager. And Frank, I'll tee you up to, to tell us more. Yeah, so today's, today's guest is definitely very different to uh, Mr. Scaramucci. Um, but no less interesting, his name is Simon Gautillier. He is a water manager. Water is still quite a niche investment, despite how essential it is to, well, life, everything. Um, he has had a lengthy career managing these portfolios for, for all the biggest players that you can think of. And I personally find water you know, fascinating. Only 1% of the world's water is drinkable and, and usable, i.e. not ice. It's up to 3% if you include uh, what's left of the polar ice caps. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's niche, but thematics at the moment are super hot. They are selling like hotcakes around the world. There's been a massive influx into what is quite a small area. And uh, he has, yeah, he's had a long enough career to make some mistakes. So that's why we got him on. Yeah, I, look, I thought it was a fascinating conversation. I think obviously thematics perhaps not as big in the US as they are in Europe at the moment. So I learned a lot from him, uh, both about that sort of trend, but also specifically about, about, about water and um, the kinds of investments that he makes, but also look, regardless of the the theme or you know asset class that he's in, he is a you know he's a fund manager and and, a, and as such he's subject to all the same uh, behavioural ticks and traits as, as as the rest of us. And he was, I think, um, whilst we sort of joked that this is a different pace to to the to the Mooch podcast, actually in many ways just just as upfront and honest about 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 the sort of mistakes and and, and pitfalls. That he's fallen into uh, in in his career. I should also say for for listeners who are worried, we we steered clear of making terrible puns about flows or you know dry runs and things like that. So if you were worried about those kind of bad jokes, don't. Other bad jokes, plenty. So what's the thing that you reflect back on uh, over time and think, oh, you know, I should have done that differently so that we can live vicariously through you not make the same mistake but probably make entirely new ones actually you know over the course of of a career you make countless mistakes probably you know um regret certain things on a, on a daily basis um so really sort of zooming in on the big ones is the uh, is sort of the, the the name of the game i think um for, for the point of this exercise and there are one or two things that i always sort of keep in my mind uh or in the top pocket um particularly when you're sort of interviewing potential new candidates or you have interns coming through the office and that sort of thing, and they're desperate to learn. Um, and I think maybe actually a couple of the things that, that I'm going to discuss, probably more of an insight into my personality type than anything else. Um, I think that the first one really is, um, is all about sort of allowing myself to be talked out of great investments um, or great investment ideas when when all of the ingredients um suggest otherwise in other words you know we we have in the past identified um stocks or companies that we think have a great management team um have a great business model um in terms of you know a, a sort of um a strong or unassailable market position high barriers to entry um great cash flow generation margins all of those sorts of things but you 
you, your sort of constant need to look for um, that little piece of information which may potentially give you an edge means that you sort of pick up the phone and you call around um, sell side analysts. And the one the one episode I really recall um, quite clearly because it's really still hurting us, if you like, um, certainly relative to some of our competitors and the market. Um, was a conversation with a sell side analyst who who just you know very clearly talked me out of of a great idea which has probably tripled or quadrupled since and we're really talking only about eighteen uh, or twenty four months ago. Um, can you, so can you tell us the stock? I th- um, oh gosh, do I have to? Um, it's, a, it's it's an American stock. It doesn't do anything particularly exciting. It's called Advanced Drainage, of all things. Um, and it, it recycles I feel like the water manager makes... that is exactly, like the most exactly. water manager um, stock you could possibly think of. So yeah, You're, it's so on brand. Pretty pretty much, pretty much, and and I was sort of you know convinced that it was great. I'd owned it previously in other portfolios, uh, and I think that um, I was persuaded that the, the weakness at the time in the agricultural markets was going to drag the stock down, et cetera, et cetera. And the real learning point for me was, you know, if you do the hard work, you do the analysis, you speak to the company, you build your model and you get conviction in that long term story. And, and after all, I think you know, the market has become so sort of short term obsessed. Um, one slightly lose sight of the fact that certainly with with thematic investing you tend to invest much more with a sort of three five ten year time horizon that if those pieces are in place in the first instance um, and you have conviction in the management team etc um that you know broadly speaking you know you, you hope to get more things right than you do wrong uh, and and obviously this isn't the only time that i've been sort of talked out of a stock either by colleagues or by the sell side but it's definitely, um, you know, it's something that, that I reflect on quite often. Um, and when when things aren't going that well in the market from time to time, one can reflect that actually, you know, if you do do the work, you have the courage of your convictions, stick by these names. Um, more often than not, they, you know, they they, they do pick up and, and sort of come back to to give you some decent performance. Um, so that that one is definitely one that, that smarts a bit. Um, but it, it's certainly not the only one. Um, do you, do you think you you kind of always looking for the the potential problem? Is that is that sort of your job when you're assessing a new company? Is it yeah? Is it kind of a good thing? You're sort of quite very risk aware. Yeah, th- uh, to speak to that. Yeah, I think I, th- I think you have to in this sort of I, I wouldn't even call it a brave new world, but in this this now sort of hyper focused ESG uh, conscious climate that we're all working in. Um, a whole host of risks, including ESG risks, you know, form quite a lot of the conversation that we have with prospects and clients and so forth. Um, and so being on top of the things that could potentially go wrong, whether it's a controversy or, or, or something of that nature or something you know, very much more financial, you know, what could happen to margins, what's going to happen to, to the free cash flow of this business, etc. They carry equal weight uh, relative to how well could this company do in an upcycle. Um, or, you know, what is the growth potential? What are the M&A targets, et cetera? So I think, you know, we place we place pretty equal weight on on trying to understand how, <laughs> I wouldn't say how horribly wrong, but how wrong it could potentially go and, and what that could potentially mean for, you know, valuations, et cetera. And do you think that um, you make that, not make that mistake more often, but do you think you lean that way more than 
other investors? Do you think that's sort of unique to you or do you think it's sort of all fund managers? Are, um, no, well, I think, I mean, far be it for me to sort of pontificate about what other people should be doing, but I think it's a very important part of, of every portfolio manager's job, um, to be honest with you. If you're not sort of conscious of, of what the downside potential is, then then it's probably safe to say you're not doing your, your job properly. Do you think that we're seeing with, you know, you, you hinted at this earlier with, with the sort of how hyper-focused everyone is on ESG. Um, you know, and I think I, I'm here in America where it's still like, you know, nascent, but over over in Europe and the UK, it's, you know, it's, it's crazy. Um, do, do you think that you're seeing more of that then as people sort of either identify, you know, sort of um, sub-themes within a broader sort of ESG portfolio or just, you know, try to colour everything ESG that you are getting maybe more people trying, whether it's water, whether it's another sort of thematic ESG play, you're seeing more people um, perhaps plough into an area that they're not um, really qualified for or haven't thought through enough? I think there are there are individual stocks which which get sort of identified as being ESG compliant. Um, and they absolutely go on the tear. I mean, in our investable universe, um, the largest uh, investor-owned utility, American Waterworks, um, you know, was the standout player last year uh, in an environment where most of the other utilities, um, you know, the performance was extremely anemic. And one of the only reasons we can see for that is that it's, you know, it's been identified as, as a great ESG story. Um, you know, there are plenty of other great US ESG stories, they're just not necessarily known as such. Um, so I think you know, when, you, when, when you get that label, um, it can be extremely helpful. Um, but equally, you know, there is still quite a long way to go, I think, particularly in the US in terms of disclosures. And, and, and I think companies disclosing um, ESG information is going to be one of the big things, certainly that we're focusing on in terms of our engagements in the next 12 to 24 months. We need more mid-cap American companies to, to, to be disclosing more about what they do from a sustainability and environmental and a governance standpoint. We talked a bit about you know, being talked out of things and, and obviously then you, sort of, you, you learn from that, I, I suppose, not to be talked out of this. You know, are there any sort of, other sort of big lessons that you've learned? You know, that I guess it could be from mistakes, it could be from something else that, you know, over your 20 years where you sort of, that, yeah, I think you used the phrase earlier, sort of, you, you still carry the scars of, or you sort of, you, you keep in your top pocket, that was the phrase you used. Yeah. The, the, the kind of, I mean, the, the other one also, I think, you know, is probably, again, more reflection of my, my personality type. Um, and it's, it's not sort of dissimilar to, to, to the first one that I brought up. Uh, and the other one that 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 I sort of reflected on um, was, again, about allowing myself to be influenced um, to get involved with, with an IPO. I mean, IPOs are always um, are always tricky. I mean, there's a sort of strong argument that you don't ever really get as much information as you need to make a, a fully informed investment decision. Um, you're reliant upon incomplete data. You are sort of under the spell of a couple of um, sell-side salespeople pitching the story to you. The financials that you get put into your valuation model typically are sort of back-of-the-envelope numbers that you get from a sell-side analyst, second-hand, nothing can be written down, all of these sorts of things. Um, and, and one that I remember from a few years back was, I mean, I, I remember looking at the Net Roadshow um, President Trump was 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 president, so it was either I think it was probably 2016 or 2017. Um, days, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
And I remember hearing the CEO talk and thinking, this guy is the sort of Donald Trump of of the of the of the drainage world and in fact it was another drainage company um serendipitously or otherwise you kind of think donald trump is the donald trump of the sewage world well, it, so well exactly it's, sort of, it's almost like an upgrade on the real exactly. trump yeah. and, and i thought you know this guy really doesn't have a huge amount of heft I, I don't think i sort of trust this guy um he was a little bit evasive um a real showman um but but the the stock really was sort of an archetypal uh, sort of stimulus play. And obviously the sort of Trump swept in to saying he was going to invest loads of money shoring up infrastructure, among other oh, things. Oh, the, inf- the infrastructure project. Yeah, exactly. That was great. Yeah, I, rem- I remember exactly. that. And, you know, long story short, I allowed, again, I allowed myself to be convinced by other people. I'm blaming everyone else here but myself. But allowed, allowed, allowed <laughs> this, myself, is the, this is the bravest thing to do. Yeah, yeah exactly. Throw, throw everyone under the bus. Sort of allow myself. Li- give us, send us a list of names afterwards <laughs> and read them out. Wow. Um, basically allowed myself to be convinced that despite the failings of this CEO uh, and despite obviously feeling that I had all of the information I needed, um, you know, we decided to participate in this IPO. And of course, you know, a matter of months later, it bombed the financial irregularities. I think the stock was down 35% on a, in one day at one point. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, again, the key point of this is it, it's not about sort of gut feel or anything like that, but it's, you know, arm yourself with with the information and if you don't have that information you know you're not in a position to to make that investment decision and the the real sort of the real bad news of this is you know the the old story about ipos if you get a big allocation you know that it was a it was a bad deal to get involved with Um, you know it was a very very large fund i was managing at the time we got an enormous allocation and then couldn't really do anything about it to get out so a bit of a a lobster pot in the end yeah that one probably is the one that haunts me the most of, of everything do you, do you wake up to visions of this guy just like hear, hearing on the road just um, like the, the drainage Trump? Yeah, exactly. And I sort of subsequently <laughs> had a meeting with him in a hotel room in Las Vegas at a conference. And that sort of, you know, he was probably enjoying himself a little bit too much, I think. Um, so, 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 yes, you know, that's the, that's the cold sweats in the night stock, I would say. Who was, who was the drainage Trump? What was that? Uh, the drainage from the company was called Forterra. Um, and actually, it's recently been been acquired, um, or, or I should say, potentially put out of its misery. Um, but you know, um, it, it, it was one where we lost a lot of money. Let's say that. And lastly, on sort of on, on the areas of mistakes, Frank, we talk we talk about this quite often. Um, I guess sort of sort of away from work. So mm. uh, you know, whether, whether it's in the personal account or whether obviously one can make bad investments in non-financial things too. Are there any sort of over the course of your life where, you know, we spoke to people a few times, whether it's sort of, we had a guest on the other week who'd bizarrely bought stocks at 11 and then she cashed out of them at like, like eight months later and regretted that. Personally, I would have regretted buying stocks at 11, not, you know, I don't know, football stickers or something. But um, <laughs> are, there any, are there any sort of decisions you've made in your, your life uh, outside of that where you're like, that, that was a real learning moment if um, you'd have sort of played that differently? Or... I think there's always this sort of, I mean, the very nature of thematic investing means that um, myself and my colleagues, we were very, very focused on a, on a, frankly, a very, very small area of the market. So we sort of profess to know an awful lot about a little. 
Um, and, and what that means is you, you tend to get sort of mates who who are, you know, basically say, you know, I've got a few quid knocking around, you know, I need to invest my ISA. You know, number one, what should I invest it in and when? So it's this terrible sort of dilemma. Hate those questions. They think that because you're an, a professional investor, that actually you know all about the entirety of the sort of global investment landscape um, and know exactly what to put them in at any one time in any geography. Um, and you know, to date, to be honest, I've I've tried really hard not to give any advice to any friends about investments. Um, but, but that's the one I, f- I certainly fear Just your most enemies. is, is sort of, is well, exactly. Yeah. I, I fear sort of telling, telling, you know, my best mate to put his, to put his ISA into X and Y, uh, fund, you know, precisely the wrong moment because, you know, y- yes, there is a certain amount of expertise that I have in a certain part of the market, but, but really I look at an investment universe of about 300 stocks. So I suppose I don't know what the do, the, the do, moral of that do, story is. Perhaps it's you know don't think that just because someone's a professional investor they know everything about everything. Actually, more often than not, yeah. they know very little. Have you little. got more of those? Do you think you've got more of those calls and texts over the last year? I know, uh, I'm I'm not a professional investor at all, but even just people go, oh, you write about this, so I'll get I'll get like text when when the oil crashed in the US. Go, is is now a good time to buy oil? It's like, mm. I've, yeah. I've never written about oil. I, I couldn't tell you anything about it. Yeah. Um, but I, isn't I feel... It, isn't it usually, hey, Alex, should I buy Bitcoin? Isn't that what you get? Uh, obviously, more recently, it's a Bitcoin love. Yeah, again, I, ha- I just wrote a piece about it, but I still don't know anything about it because it, it's incredibly complicated, I think. Um, but I feel this year has been more, you know, of it, or since, yeah, actually almost a year to the day, isn't it? You know, this is, we're near the February peak. Uh, the last 12 months we've seen so many I, more I, th- I think that's right i think there are so many more or there seem to be so many more extremes at the moment um you know arguably sort of peak valuations in tech should i sell my tech stocks so well you know again you know, i know a lot about filters drains pumps utilities but not about whether netflix is fully valued i really truly have no idea um so, so I think you're probably right, you know, much more sort of inbound traffic of general questions about should I be buying gold, should I be buying silver, should I be buying tech, et cetera. Um, and I just simply, you know, I just simply don't have the answers, frankly. Broadly on uh, actually ecology, because you've run a lot of environmental uh, markets assets yeah. o- over the years yeah. uh, without naming the companies you work for, mm. but they're the big ones, the ones that have been on a long time. Uh, ecology funds, best selling funds in the world at the moment. In terms of the inflows they're taking in, yes, is is there capacity for like that level of interest in what you've said? They're quite small markets. Yeah. Uh, well, I think also you know a feature of of the environmental markets and and um, and, and and environmental investing is that um, many of these stocks are smaller mid caps. Um, so that does somewhat limit the capacity, and and it does lead to huge run ups as we've seen in certainly in some renewable. Uh, renewable energy side in the last 12 months or so. Um, let, let's put it this way. When, when I was managing sort of more diversified environmental funds, um, we always had a pretty pretty clear idea what the capacity of those funds was going to be. Um, I, I don't know how big those funds are today. Um, but obviously you get as a bit bigger. bigger, exactly. Uh, quite, a, quite a lot bigger. I mean, I think, at, well, put it this way, as markets go up, your capacity expands um i would have thought that some of those some of those funds that have really done extremely i mean you know let's be absolutely clear they've done extremely well in the last 
five years or so. Um, I suspect that you know, they must be getting close to getting close to capacity um, across the piece. You know, not the one, not ones that I previously managed, but um, you know, across that whole sort of uh, ecosystem. What are what do you what do you think the most common mistakes that investors are making when they they try and go environmental when a, when a new company tries to enter the market? Um, probably trying to focus on trends rather than themes, um, or on sectors rather than themes. You know, pouring lots of time, energy, and and, and money into, for example, you know, battery technology. Let's do an electric vehicle fund. That's way too narrow and doesn't give you enough opportunity to diversify the performance across the portfolio. Um, you know, if, if you're going to have a sort of diversified environmental portfolio, you would need to have a combination of renewable energy, energy efficiency, water, waste management, etc., so that you have you know lots of different parts of the economy and lots of different cycles that allow you to achieve you know uncorrelated returns um, through that cycle. Don't just you know focus on renewable energy or electric vehicles. There's got to be more to it than that. This hopefully this combines some water and some mistakes. Um, <laughs> we've you know the the general thesis. You know, my understanding is you feel that we are you know ultimately running out of water and we're not mm. managing. What are some of the what are, basically what are the biggest mistakes that I suppose we but, but in general sort of is is going on in the world of water now in terms of you know um, poor management or you know um, that that is exacerbating the situation whereby we could be you know in, in a dangerous place yeah i mean very obvious one. i mean not reacting fast enough to to climate change and and um you know droughts flood mitigation etc um in markets as diverse as as china the us etc even the uk to be to be frank um that investment sort of is just not being made yet i mean I think the the recent weather events in the states and and a sort of preponderance of of, of negative headlines is it, beginning to I wouldn't say the, I wouldn't say the penny is beginning to drop but it's beginning to to strike a chord, um, but the size of the investment required is 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 huge um, and and really it needs to start now, so that would be sort of observation number one. Observation number two is clearly with a global population. Um, that is that is expanding at a at a sort of cataclysmic rate. The amount of water that we have doesn't really change, but the number of people using that water does, and it puts a huge amount of strain on uh, on water quality globally. Um, and where the water is at the moment is very different to where it was a hundred years ago. So weather patterns are changing that, etc. Long story short, we need to do an awful lot on um, pollution control and water quality uh, investments. Um, you know, there's a clear focus there. You might argue on on the US and China again. Um, China has a big water pollution problem and clearly, uh, you know, a massive population. And these investments just need to just need to get done as quickly as possible. Brilliant. Well, that was our interview with Simon Gautillier. Frank, um, yeah, as we said in the intro, you know, some, some fascinating stuff in there. What were, what were the key lessons that you learned from from, from Simon's mistakes and, and and other anecdotes? Don't don't trust a showman. You know, the the the, the drainage chump. I mean, clearly he wasn't convinced, and yet was swayed to to put his money there at a great expense. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that seems to be the theme to his mistakes, which we which we picked up on in the interview itself, which is sort of having a good research process, having a good thesis, but then quite late on in the in the process being swayed one way or the other. So, you know, not to buy or to buy uh, against his initial, not gut, because that's diminishing his, his research, but against against his better judgment, essentially. Yeah, I, he was he was a remarkably honest guy. You know, clearly uh, established a really long career in the industry, and yet, you know, I liked his honesty on some of the kind of side effects of, of being in finance, where his mates would call him up and say, "Can I can I get some investment advice?" I personally get these, and I I shudder every time I get them because I have to turn around and say, "Listen, I'm not a professional." Whereas Simon, you know, he is a professional, and yet he was quite happy to say, "Yeah." Don't know everything about you know Netflix's valuation and 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 what what the you know the dollar yen exchange rate is going to be tomorrow. Yeah, and he was yeah, very frank. Sort of his universe is essentially three hundred stocks, and that's what he that's what he really knows about, and, and that's where his his specialism lies. Um, I thought that was really interesting. I also thought it's very interesting his sort of views on thematics as well. We touched on this in our intro. You know, very hot area at the moment. Lots of money going in there. Lots of launches. Um, but Simon's sort of view was actually, you've got to be careful here. You know, there's a difference between a trend and a theme and one mustn't go too niche or too narrow because ultimately there's not, there's not actually a, a strategy there. There's not a play there really long term. Yeah, pe- people getting really car- carried away with, you know, hydrogen fuel cells and electric batteries and niche upon niche. And he's saying, you know, there are, there are only a few players in there. I remember a few years ago when robotics was the new hot thing. And there are about thirty companies worldwide that that were really, you know, global, globally global players in that space. And there are similar things happening everywhere. So don't get carried away and do understand what it is you're investing in. That makes sense. I think also sort of away from themes, but sort of on the, you know, what water fund is, for want of a better phrase, I, th- I think you could categorize it as a, as an ESG strategy too. And I thought it was interesting what he said about the, the time horizons involved. And this was something that Liz. Simi told us in, in episode two, if you haven't listened, check it out. Um, you know, the time horizons are a little different. You've got to think a bit longer term in some of these these, these ESG type investments. You, you know, the change that's being pushed for is going to take longer. The 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 benefits of some of those changes will take longer to, to come to fruition. And, and maybe that as that kind of investing grows in popularity, that is, that is a lesson that investors are going to have to take on board and understand. It's a very exciting time as well. You've obviously had the 1.9 trillion stimulus package come down. There's now talk of a 3 trillion infrastructure package coming through. And, and that spending is going to be targeted towards developing the US as a, as a new economy that is geared towards renewables and efficiency of, of water use sustainability. There are surely a lot of those dollars coming, coming the way of these, these companies. Yeah, I, I think there was an awful lot there. Uh, thanks again, Simon, for for his time. Again, I'm, did, I think we said thank you to him at some point if it's not in the recording. Just so you know, Frank and I are very well brought up and would definitely have thanked Simon for very that. Very nice people. Um, nice people, good people. Uh, and on that note, it is goodbye from me, Alex Steger. And goodbye from me, Frank Talbot. Mm-hmm.